How is everybody? Very good. I thought we'd start with a bit of history today. I don't know how many of you did history for A-levels. Louis did history for A-levels. Brilliant. How many of you hated history at school? Majority of you. Okay, don't worry. This is going to be exciting stuff. Okay, but one thing you can do when you study history is you can take events that are in the past and you can look at them and try and find comparisons with what's happening at the moment. And you can take, for example, you could take some war that happened in the past and try and compare it with a war going on the other side of the world and say, okay, what might happen as a result of this war? Because you look at the past and you say, okay, this happened because this happened in that country at that date and this happened after. What might happen because of this war that's going on at the moment? Or you could take the state of a country. So you take the state of the UK and you think, okay, in the past the UK was like this. It looks a lot like it is at the moment. What might happen after? And I've got here, I've got a diary by a guy called John Wesley. Now, John Wesley was a Christian preacher about 300 years ago. He lived in the early 18th century. And if you know anything about Britain in the early 18th century, you'll know that morally it was very similar to the way it is today. Britain was drunk on gin. It was immoral. Sexual immorality was rampant. You would have um, child labour. The economic climate was rubbish, a bit like today. And in the middle of this, John Wesley writes in his journal, he writes on New Year's Day in January uh, 1739, he says this. Monday, January the 1st, 1739. Mr. Hall, Kinchin, Ingham, Whitfield, Hutchins and my brother Charles were present at our love feast in Fetter Lane, that's in the city of London, with about 60 of our brethren. About three in the morning, as we were continuing instant in prayer, The power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch that many of us cried out for exceeding joy and fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered a little from the awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. For those of you who, who know your church history a little bit, you'll know that John Wesley and his friends then rode the length and the breadth of Britain, preaching to thousands and seeing thousands transformed. If you've heard Steph talk about this at all, he'll, he'll give the illustration of John Wesley preaching to thousands at the, at the exit of a mine. So miners would come out of their day's work, their faces would be black with soot, and as John Wesley would preach to the thousands coming out of the mines, you would see white stripes start to appear on their face as they start to fall under, fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, this was the greatest revival that this nation has ever seen up till now. And where did it start? It started with 60 people, not unlike the amount of people we've got today, in a room, crying their hearts out for this nation. Who wants to see revival in this nation? Who wants to see this city transformed? Yeah? Yeah? We need to learn to get on our faces and to plead with God and to ask him to give us this nation. And we've been doing a series on prayer for the last few weeks, if you've been around. I haven't been around much, but I've heard we've been doing one. Am I right? Yeah, Steph did preach on on praying last week. Okay, and the reason we're doing this series isn't because Steph suddenly thought, oh, it would be nice to do a series on prayer. That's in the Bible. There's a lot about prayer in the Bible. Let's do a series on that. The reason we're doing this is because we are convinced that the West and the UK are incredibly weak when it comes to prayer. If you go to other countries, for example, Africa, where God is moving so powerfully in many nations, what you'll notice is one of the differences between the African church and the English church is that they are absolutely devoted to prayer. Literally, they will pray all night, and they won't, have, they won't have a problem with that. They will pray all the way through the night, crying out to God. They'll go to work, then they'll do the same thing a few days later. They are absolutely devoted to prayer, and God is moving in great power in those nations. And really, so the conviction is we need to grow in prayer. We need to understand what prayer is. We need to be convinced that prayer works. So Steph spoke a few weeks ago about a God who acts for those who wait for him. And we must be convinced as Christians that as we pray, God will act, and that our prayers are powerful. So I've called my type, uh, the title of my sermon this morning is Keep Asking. And really my aim is to convey this very simple but very profound truth. That our prayers as a church 
can shape the destiny of a nation. And hopefully as we unpack the stuff I'm going to talk about, we'll get to see that actually the Bible is clear that your prayers, one person's prayer can shape the destiny of a whole nation. So if you've got your Bibles, um, could you open up in Matthew 7? We'll be reading from verses 7 to 11. Uh, can, we get, can you get it off the screen for a moment, please, Adam? Like just before we start, you might have seen the words already, but some of you will know this passage pretty much off by heart, and you'll think, I've heard every single preach I could possibly hear on the subject of prayer with this passage. I know it inside out. I know it all. Brilliant. You're exactly the kind of person that needs to listen for this. You're exactly the kind of person that needs to engage. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. The more you hear the word of God, the more you get faith. And if there's anything we need at the moment, it's faith in the power of prayer. There might be some of you here today who are thinking, well, I'm, to be honest, I'm not really sure where I even stand on the whole God thing. Maybe, I, maybe you believe in God, but you think, I don't know about Jesus. I don't know what it's all about. This is for you too. This is relevant. Why? If you want to find out what a good food tastes like or what a good wine tastes like, the best way of figuring it out isn't reading the label. The best way is actually having a sample. And so by you sitting here and listening to this and seeing what we're talking about, you will get an insight into God's heart for his people. You'll get an insight into God's heart to teach us about prayer and you'll get an insight into what it means to be a Christian. So I'd say to you, if you don't know where you're at exactly, this is for you. Please engage. Please listen. And I'll give you a chance later. Maybe I'll explain a bit more later what it means to, to follow Christ. But if we could have the words up on the screen now. And I'm going to ask if we can all read this together out loud. Just to, I believe that when you read the Bible, obviously I can speak. I'm going to commentate on this later. I'm going to, going to explain. But when we read the Bible, the actual reading of the scripture is incredibly powerful. So I'm going to ask if we can all read this out loud. So ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come by your spirit right now and that you would teach us how to pray. God, I pray you'd come and build faith in us. I pray where we've been weak in prayer in the past. I pray that as a result of what we hear today and as a result of what we hear in the next few weeks, we would be people who are powerful in prayer, devoted to prayer, Lord, like like they, they said about the early church in Acts. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be a people, as a result of what we see this morning, who are confident in the power of prayer and confident that what we, what the requests that we bring to you have the capacity to change a nation, just like it did 300 years ago. God, I pray you'd stir faith in us today. I pray you'd help me to communicate this faithfully I pray if there's anything I say that's unhelpful, I pray that it would fall to the ground. And Lord, I pray that as a result of today, we will pray for this nation with more of a broken heart and more passion and faith than we have ever prayed before. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to do today with this familiar passage is I want to take three challenges or encouragements that we can find about prayer. So if Jesus was to stand up here, he might give us these three encouragements or challenges to us as a nation and to us as a church when it comes to prayer. And the first one is this. We must pray with persistence. Verse 7 says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. In fact, if you take the verse literally, if you translate it literally, it's probably better translated like this. Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and it will be opened to you. There's something dynamic about prayer. Prayer isn't just 
like going up to a Coke machine, putting a code in and a Coke bottle falling to the bottom. We're told to ask. We're told to seek, not simply to look to the right or the left. We're told to knock. That involves doing something. And the sad thing is, in the West, we don't tend to get this. We don't tend to get that. Prayer is so much more than just five minutes before we go to bed, saying a little prayer to God and then going to sleep. There's nothing wrong with that, but if it's not embedded in a lifestyle of asking, in a lifestyle of seeking, and a lifestyle of knocking, the chances are it won't really have that much effect. You see, we live in a a quick-fix, fast food, I get it when I want it society. I mean, if you want food, you go to McDonald's, you literally get it within five minutes. If you want a car, 50 years ago, you'd have had to save up your money. Now you get out alone and get it straight away. Just just the same with houses. You start complaining when you wait for more than 30 minutes in a restaurant because it's not fast enough. And we've been, we've been absorbed into this culture which says, I w- get what I want now. I get what I want when I want it. I don't need to wait. And so the idea of perseverance, the idea of patience is completely alien to us. And there's nothing wrong necessarily with McDonald's. I actually quite like McDonald's. There's nothing wrong with cheese on toast. But when it creeps into our prayer life, that can become catastrophic because we suddenly think that prayer is simply dialing a number and the butler comes up and fixes everything. Prayer is about keeping on asking. Prayer is about keeping on seeking. In fact, when you read this verse in your Bible from now on, I want you to think what it really says is this. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. There's something proactive. There's something dynamic about it. There's something persistent and there's something of patience involved in prayer. In fact, Jesus tells us a story in Luke 18. Take the scripture off off now if you want. In Luke 18, Jesus tells this story. And if you've been to any of our prayer meetings, you'll have heard Steph go through this pretty much every single week apart from a few. In Luke 18, Jesus says this, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray, listen to that, always to pray and not lose heart. Remember that, we should always pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? There's something annoying in biblical prayer. I like to summarize it like this. If the way we pray and the amount we pray, if we weren't praying to God, should annoy the person we're praying praying to so much that in the end they just give up. It's like, keep giving me justice. Give me justice. Give me justice. And in the end it's like... Look, I'll give it to you. You're so annoying. Now, this parable isn't talking about God's attitude towards us. God's not sitting in heaven going, oh, for goodness sake, okay, you can get it now. All right, I'll give you salvation. I'll give you healings. No, this is talking about how we pray. God, is, God loves it when we come to him and keep knocking. God loves it when we keep banging on the door and saying, God, give us salvation. Give us change in this nation. God loves it. But we're supposed to be like this persistent widow. I mean, if, if you don't annoy yourself sometimes in your prayer life, then maybe we're not praying hard enough. Maybe we're not praying enough for, this, for the things. Maybe we just give up too soon. There's something annoying and there's something persistent about prayer. I don't know if you watch nature programs or wildlife documentaries. Anyone? Planet Earth, stuff like that? No, okay. <laughs> well, if you did watch stuff like that and educate yourself about what happens in the world... <laughs> You might, you might have seen documentaries on um, crocodiles in the Nile, in the River Nile in Egypt. And what they do is they'll hide just under the water. And when, I don't know, will, do wildebeests live in Egypt? 
I don't know. <laughs> when some form of animal comes up to the side of the river, the crocodiles will stay under the surface and they'll suddenly jump out. They'll take hold of the wildebeest or whatever it is, leg, and they'll drag it to the bottom. And as much, it doesn't matter how much of a fight that animal puts up, when the crocodile gets its jaws around an animal's leg, it locks it. And there's no way you can open them again. We need to be like crocodiles when we pray. Not that we're green or scaly or anything, but we need to have spiritual jaws that lock around God's promises and say, we're not letting go. It doesn't matter how much this promise puts up a fight. It doesn't matter how long we have to pray for. We're not letting go until we've taken this to the bottom and completely killed it so that God has answered our our prayers. We've got to be like that in our prayer life. Every single move of God, every single revival that has ever taken place can always be traced back to a few people crying their hearts out day after day, night after night to God. I mean, in the thing that I read you out earlier on, they were, it says that they continued instant in prayer at three in the morning. They'd been praying for the whole night. When the whole of the nation was drunk on gin and partying on New Year's Eve, these 60 people in a room, probably about maybe this sort of size, were on their knees crying out to God saying, give us this nation. God, change this culture. Give us this nation. And God broke out. And we need that. We need that kind of persevering. And if you've been to our prayer meetings, you'll know that we, week in, week out, we pray for the same things. But I want this to be something that isn't just something we do once a week at a prayer meeting, but it's part of our lifestyle. It's that we'll get up every morning crying out for God to change this nation. We'll go to bed every night crying out for God to change this nation because we know that if we keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, we will receive it. So the challenge is, if in 10 years' time, and I don't think this will happen because God is good. But if in 10 years' time we still haven't seen any more salvation or any more breakthrough than we have now, we will still be praying with just as much aggressiveness and just as much perseverance as we are at the moment. Amen. That's what we want. We want to keep praying with persistence. So that's challenge number one that Jesus would say. And I believe we're doing well, but we can do even better. We're doing well in terms of prayer meetings, but I want to see this ingrained into the very DNA of the church, that we are a people that are devoted to praying constantly. So number one is pray with persistence. Number two is this, pray with faith. Verse eight says this, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Say everyone, everyone. Notice it doesn't say some people who ask receive. It doesn't say some particularly anointed leaders who pray long-winded prayers with vows and whatever's in. They, they get it answered. It says everyone who asks receives. What's the logical conclusion? If you are in Christ, if you're a Christian here today, and you ask, and you keep asking for God, you will receive. Now, for some of you, you think, wait a minute, so I'm going to go back home and ask for BMW now, because that, that sounds too good to be true. I just want to clarify this a bit. This doesn't mean that anyone who asks for anything will receive. In fact, in James 4, James writes to a group of churches around the Mediterranean area, and he says this, he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask for the wrong reasons. He says, you ask to spend it on your passions. So I'm not saying that if you go back home and say, God, please give me a massive house. God, please give me lots of money so that I can buy loads of clothes, I can buy fancy, a fancy car and everything. I'm not saying he's going to do that. In fact, he probably won't. I'm saying this, if you ask, if you keep asking, persevering in accordance with the will of God, you will receive. So how do we know what God's will is? Well, a chapter earlier in Matthew 6, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your name be made holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you notice in that prayer, when they pray for themselves... 
There's no mention of, God, give me what I want. Have you ever noticed that? When they say, give us today our daily bread, what they're saying is this, God, give us what we need today to glorify you. The whole prayer that Jesus teaches is drenched in this, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, and God, I need you to do this. I need enough food for tomorrow to survive so I can advance your kingdom. I need enough courage. I need enough boldness. I need your Holy Spirit. There's no mention of, God, I really would like this new car. So how do we know if we're praying in line with God's will? Is it under the umbrella of hallowed be your name? Is it in the Bible? Is it something that you look at the Bible and you say, yes, God wants that. So salvation. God wants salvation. You see stories in the Bible where people get saved by the thousands We know that God wants to save people in this city. So we're going to keep banging on about it, knowing that Jesus, um, God will give us the answer. So that's what it means. It means you pray in line with God's will. Anyone who asks, everyone who asks in line with God's will receives. And if we can get that into our heart, if we can get that right, not just in our heads, because we know it in our heads, but I don't know if as a nation we really truly know that in our heart, that if we ask in accordance with God's will, we will get it. We must get that into us. You see, here's the revelation. Prayer makes things happen. Prayer works. In fact, an American preacher called um, John Piper puts it this way. I love this. He says, prayer makes things happen that would not happen unless you, didn't pr- unless you prayed. And you're thinking, wait a minute, but God's sovereign. No, the, the language the Bible uses is this. In God's sovereignty, he ordains that when we pray, things happen as a result that wouldn't happen if we didn't pray. Do you want an example? In James 5... Um, James says this, he says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. And then he gives the example of a guy called Elijah, who was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he says this, Elijah prayed consistently, persevering for it to rain, for it not to rain, sorry. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed three and a half years later for the rain to come, and it rained again. He prayed in accordance with God's will. God had revealed to Elijah, I don't want it to rain in that country. I want you to pray so that it will not rain Elijah prayed in accordance with God's will and something happened that would not have happened if Elijah hadn't prayed. Just imagine what can happen in this nation if we ask God for things. Just imagine, just think, why, what, what if we didn't ask God for some things? Don't always think, okay, God's sovereign, he's going to sort out. Yes, God is sovereign, but he ordains that we should pray and things should happen. So let's pray that this nation will change. Let's pray that this church will see growth, this church will see breakthrough, because everyone who asks receives. And sometimes you can get into the trap of thinking, well, I've prayed week in, week out. I know it's in the Bible, but I still haven't seen it, so it can't be God's will. Don't fall into that trap. If it's in the Bible, if God says, this is part of my kingdom, this is part of my rule coming on earth, it is God's will, you keep pressing and you keep banging on. Don't fall into the lie of, oh my goodness, it's probably just not God's will at the moment. No, we persevere through, we keep going, we keep asking and we will receive. Now, I just want to ask you a question. If we are absolutely certain that when we pray, in, in line with God's will, God will definitely give us what we ask for, do we pray tiny, apologetic, little prayers. Should we, do we pray those sort of prayers? The sort of things like, oh God, we'd, we'd like it if you made the neighbourhood a little bit of a, a, a more peaceful place, but we're not going to ask you for too much because we don't want to don't offend you. Do we, do, do we ask those sort of prayers? No. no. What sort of prayers do we pray? Big. big. Can we have the next one up, please? We pray big. Have you ever, fa- have you ever been scared of praying too big? I have. When you, when you, start, you start praying, you'll start, you might start praying for a nation, and you think, to be honest, I'm one guy. What's this going to change? Anyone relate to that? Or am I just, yeah? Don't think like that again. 
let's not think like that again because prayer changes things. Prayer makes things happen that wouldn't happen if, you di- if, they didn't, if we didn't pray. And if we've got a God who is willing to give us what we ask, if it's under the umbrella of hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, then we can be sure that he will give us big things. Can we have, so verse 9 to 11 says this, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for, a, for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? Are there any fathers in the room today? Okay, a few. Three. If your son asks, or daughter for you, if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, are you going to give him a stone? Are you going to give him a snake if he asks for a fish? No. How much more? If you then, who are, ha- who are evil, sorry dads, according to the Bible you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The answer is this, infinitely more. Infinitely more. The illustration is this. Fathers on earth are evil, they have a small bank account, but they still give good gifts. If you who are evil and have a small bank account still manage to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, who is good and has the biggest bank account in the world, give good gifts? How much more will he give good gifts to you? Infinitely more. There's no, there's no, like, you can't even compare. Like, the, the, diff, the distance between the Evil, the most evil father and the best father on earth is like that big and the distance between, God, between that good father and God is infinite. There's no comparison. So if you who are evil and have a small bank account give good gifts, I mean, bread's good. It's a good gift. Now, if you multiply that by infinity, how much more does our father in heaven give us good gifts? So if Dave can give a loaf of bread to his daughter, how much more can God give us thousands of people? How much more is God able to give us cities? How much more is God able to give us nations when we ask for it? Infinitely more. I don't know if you've ever seen um, a programme on MTV called Super Sweet 16. Anyone? I I despise that programme, but I watch it because it drives me mad. I'm the sort of person who watches programmes because I love being driven mad and complaining about stuff. But basically, here's how it goes. There are these really like over-the-top rich families and spoilt kids who basically... Their, their parents throw the biggest parties you have ever seen for their 16th birthday. I mean, literally, they'll get a, a brand new Mercedes. They'll get some famous band playing. They'll have hundreds and hundreds of people come along. They'll wear, I think, one program, this, this girl wore a necklace that was worth half a million pounds. Just, I mean, it drives me mad when I see stuff like that. But it's a good illustration. If the person, if, if the daughter of, of the father who was fr- throwing this massive party came up to his father, her father and said... Uh, Dad, to be honest, I, I don't want to cause you too much problem. I just want just a CD for my birthday, really. When we come to God and we limit him to small things, that's exactly what we're doing. We're coming to a God who has infinite resources, who's got the biggest bank account, this, this, this father who can throw the biggest parties in the world, who can give you as many BMWs as, as you want, and you're coming to him and saying, I want a CD. Now, we've got a God who's got infinite resources. So when we ask, we can be sure that we can get big things. We need to learn to get big as a nation when we pray. We need to learn to pray for things that... Okay, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we don't pray for small things. God says, give us... To pray like this. Give us today our daily bread. We pray for individuals. We pray for small things. But if we limit God to that, we are missing out on so much blessing. That's why it would be great if we, if we could train our, spirit, our spiritual muscles, so to speak. I'm just going to get you to say nations. Everybody say nations. 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 Say thousands. Thousands. Say citywide transformation. 
transformation. Right, those words should be part of our vocabulary when we, when we pray. Okay? I want to hear more and more those sort of prayers coming out of prayer meetings where we're saying, God, give us this city. Give us communities. Give us thousands of people who will flock to hear you. And the chances are, within a few weeks, we might be thinking, well, we've asked for it, we didn't get it. Well, what do we do? We keep on asking. We say, God, we know you have the biggest bank account in the world. You have the biggest resources in the world. So we're going to keep asking, God, change this city, change this nation, transform this nation, that other nations may even look on and see what's going on here and be amazed. I was standing on um, a hill near our, uh, near our place yesterday, just going through this. And uh, it's a, it was a great place to practice this, this preach, because you can see the whole of the east of London. And I just found myself thinking, this is, this is such a big city. Guys, there are 7 million people that live in this city. And the majority of these people, within 100 years' time, will probably be in hell if something doesn't change. Guys, we need to pray big. We can't afford to just pray for individuals. We can't afford to just pray for small things. We need to pray for citywide, nation-changing, culture-transforming. We need to pray those sort of prayers. We need to get on our faces before God daily and say, God, I thank you. You provide for the little things. You, prov- you answer every single prayer. And we want to pray big prayers that you would transform this nation, that this church would grow to a size that we, that we hadn't even imagined, and that this church would see such fruit. Just imagine, just imagine if what happened 300 years ago after 60 men prayed in a room happened today after one of our prayer meetings. If we got on our faces before God and said, God, give us this city, and as a result, the whole city was changed. Abortion laws were changed. The drug laws were changed. Sexual immorality stopped. And we saw people come to Christ. And this nation would not be known anymore for its um, debauchery or sexual immorality, but it would be known for Christ. Just imagine if other nations and other cities of the world would look at London and say, "This, what is going on in that place? What is going on in that city? If what happened 300 years ago happened, then it can happen today. We can have the biggest revival we've ever seen if we get on our face and pray to God. That's, what ha- that's what's happening in other parts of the world at the moment. Nations are getting on their face before God and they are seeing massive breakthrough by the thousands. Literally, a guy called um, Ed- Edward Burrier, who leads the, we're part of a family of churches called New Frontiers, and he leads the, uh, the, whole, the whole region of, I think it's Kenya or something, and literally they are planting so many churches at a speed that we haven't seen. Let's get on our faces and ask God to do that in the UK. Let's get on our faces and ask God to do that in London. I want to finish with this. For those of you who are, who are here and you're thinking, I don't actually know where I, where I stand on this. This sounds cool, this God who gives us, load, gives us whatever we ask or, or, or want in his name. This sounds cool, this sounds powerful, but I don't know where I stand on this. But I just want to finish with this. Even though we praise a God who is absolutely powerful and will give us whatever we ask when we say your kingdom come, the only reason that we ever get anything that we ask for is this, that his son came to earth 2,000 years ago, died on a Roman cross, bore the wrath of of, of God that we deserved for our sins so that we could relate to God no longer as a judge who who will smite us down, but as a father who is willing to give good things to his children. That is the only reason. Every fruitful prayer that is answered, every breath you take with healthy lungs, every step you take with healthy feet, every conversation you have with good friends is a cross-bought gift. Everything. Everything we get when we pray for it is because Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, died on the cross in our place, and so we could be reconciled to him. And as a result, we can pray big prayers for the nations. We can pray big prayers. We can get on our face and say, God, 
we're going to keep praying for salvation because we haven't seen what we think you want to do yet. We haven't seen what we know you want to do yet. We're going to keep praying. We're going to pray expecting God to answer, saying, God, we've got faith because your word says everyone who asks receives. And we haven't received it yet, so we know that it's coming. And we're going to pray big, nation-changing, city-transforming prayers. So what I want us to do now, in a few minutes, um, if the band come up now, actually, that would be great. In a few minutes, we're going to take the bread and the wine. Why do we do this? We do this just like I was explaining, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. And we take the bread and the wine because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Before he went to the cross, he sat down with his disciples and had a meal. And he took bread and he said, and he broke it. And he said, eat this. This is my body broken for you. And then he, he took some wine and he said, drink this. This is the blood of the covenant poured out for many. This is my blood. And as he hung on that cross, he bore the sins of the world. And we take this bread or pitter bread and this wine in remembrance of the fact that our saviour died 2,000 years ago. But we know that he's not dead anymore. We know that three days later he rose from the dead to say, I have conquered over death and sin. I have conquered over everything. All authority in heaven has been given to me because I conquered over death. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations. Therefore, go, transform culture. Therefore, go, change your city. Therefore, go, change nations. Because our Saviour rose from the dead, we can go and transform culture. So we're going to take that to remember Christ and to remember his sacrifice. And I'd say to you, if you're, if you're here today and you're thinking, right, when, when I walked in this morning, I couldn't care less, to be honest, about, about Jesus. I, could, I wasn't really interested. But now, as you've been listening to this word, you've been thinking, actually, something inside of me is stirring. That's the Holy Spirit stirring you, saying, I want you back. I want you to become my son. And if that's you, I'd just invite you with the rest of us to come and take the bread and the wine as a response, saying, Jesus, I'm all yours. I'm completely devoted to you. I'm going to give all of my life over to you because you've saved me. You've taken me out of my sin. You've taken me out of my shame. And after, it would be great if you could come and see, um, maybe go and speak to the, the friend who bought you, come and see me or come and see someone else from, from the church. And we'd just like to start you off on that amazing journey of getting to know Jesus. But what we're going to do before that is we're going to sing a song now called um, God of This City. We've only sung it a few times here before, but the, the chorus goes like this. Can we have the chorus up on the screen, actually? We got it? Okay, the chorus says, it says, greater things have yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. And what I want us to do now is I want us to sing this song as a prayer. Greater things have yet to come. Let's not just sing it, let's fight for it. As we're praying, I'll take your best prayers. Just imagine, imagine, dream of London as a place where Christ is exalted above any other idol. Dream of a place where Camden is not known for drugs, where Camden is not known for violence anymore, but is known for the rule of Christ. And dream of a city which is so absorbed by the power of the Holy Spirit that other nations look on and say, God is surely in this place. As we sing this song, I want you to, to pray your biggest prayers. If God has put specific nations within this city on your heart, I want you to pray your biggest prayers for those groups. If God has put specific communities or specific kinds of people on your heart, I want you to pray your biggest prayers for that kind of group. I want to hear big words. I want to hear big prayers coming out as we cry out to God for this city. We're going to pray with persistence so this, doesn't ju- this isn't just a five-minute burst. This is something we take home and keep doing every day. We're going to pray with faith, knowing that the prayers that we pray now, because they're in line with God's will, will be answered. And we just have to keep pressing on. And we're going to pray big. We're going to pray that this nation and this city would be transformed for the sake of Christ's kingdom. So I wonder if you can all stand.
I'm just going to pray and then we're going to sing this song as a heartfelt prayer to God, crying out, broken-hearted people for this nation. Lord Jesus, I thank you that because you died and you rose again, we have been reconciled to God. And that because of this, we can come to you as a father. We can come to the father. No barrier between us anymore. There's no dividing wall. We can come to the father through you and say, Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in London as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray, give us what we need. Give us today what we need to serve you. Lord, deliver us from evil. Let us forgive other people's sins as they, as we forgive those, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord Jesus, we cry out for this nation. We say, God, we believe that everyone who asks receives. And so God, we are going to ask. We are going to seek. We are going to knock. Lord, we pray for culture transformation. We pay for a city that is turned upside down just like 300 years ago. God, we pray, would you do an amazing thing in our day? Would you do a great thing in our day, God? Would you do something that has ripple effect to the ends of the earth? Lord, I pray, help us to pray. Help us to persevere. Give us a confidence in prayer, Lord Jesus, that will unlock things for your glory. Help us not just think, oh, God's sovereign, he'll sort it out. Let us be on our knees. Let us be on our faces daily saying, God, change this nation, change this city for your glory, for your name, and for your incredible kingdom. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.